Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry Edwards is off with her tool belt, continuing to build the Sound Health Portal. Actually, I should say at this point, continuing to improve the Sound Health Portal. That's at soundhealthportal.com. And a great way to, to see how the Sound Health Portal works is to go to soundhealthportal.com, click on the Services tab, and then choose Campaigns. And Campaigns are current programs that they're running for free. Currently, they have Neuroplasticity, one of my favorites, shows you the what's happening in the brain in terms of how things are firing or what deficiency might occur, what might something that might be too high or too low, making your thinking not working as quite as well as you would like. Uh, that's a favorite of mine. And then also there's BioDiet, as well as PTSD. And there are others there. I just can't remember right now all of them. And what you do is you go and uh, you sign up for a free account. Then you can choose the campaign and submit two 45-second recordings, and they'll walk you through this. Uh, when you choose, you do it right from your computer. You do two separate 45-second recordings, and as I say, they'll instruct you through this and give you a timer so it's all obvious. You'll see in real time a bar that marks the amount of time, and then it'll ask you to do another recording. You'll submit that and choose your campaign and submit and you get a report back usually within a couple of hours to at the most 10 hours. You get a report filled with all sorts of information that you're going to want to sit down probably with a cup of tea and really review because it's an amazing amount of information of, as I said, what could be high, what could be low. Something might be elevated that you didn't know about, meaning it could just be a supplement. It could be a misfiring and methylation. It could be any number of things. And then you can take that report to your healthcare practitioner and get a whole nother view of fascinating information. But that's at soundhealthportal.com. And you can also go to soundhealthoptions.com and go to media there, and you can see a number of demonstrations that Sherry has done online where you actually get to watch her walk you through using the Sound Health Portal. And it really is, the amount of information there is really amazing. The new, some of the new charts she has which shows in an immediate visual like, oh, you want to look at this first, and then you want to look at that, states of imbalance. Too much, too little. Hypertonistic, hypotonistic. It's really a powerful tool. And I say this every week, and I'll continue to say it. This is one of those shows with this wonderful idea of Dr. Paul Napier and uh, Dr. Rao's book, Power of Agency. It's not just the concept of the agency itself for me, it's also the concept of the paying attention, the ability to focus, anxiety, all of that. It's really, it's a, it's a wonderful message, a great plan. And you'll be able to find the replay of this show at either soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, then click on the uh, Sound Health Radio tab and the replay link back to Blog Talk Radio will be there. And or also now at the top of that page, you'll see a link either for Stitcher or for my favorite, Pocket Casts. And if you click on that link, it'll take you to the most recent show and the podcast aggregators, which both of those are. Take about 30 minutes at the most, sometimes an hour to get the feed in there. But that's a great way. Both of those links will take you to not only the current show, but also a list of the shows we've done. 
And with both of those, it's also really easy to share. So once you hear this information, you then will be able to share it to your friends and they'll be able to easily open it and find it. So that's for me very exciting to be able to easily find, oh look, here are the shows we've done in the past, write it on a list, you can play it, you can share it, you can bookmark it. I highly recommend the app uh, Pocket Casts. It has a lot of really powerful tools. And with that, there's a silent epidemic that's ravaging America, one that's lurking below the headlines, our near constant state of anxiety. According to the World Health Organization, the United States is the most anxious nation on earth, with at least one in five people, a full 40 million Americans currently diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. A new APA poll reveals that for the second year in a row, two in every three Americans say they are extremely or somewhat anxious. Even our children aren't spared with reported rates of anxiety, steadily increasing year after year. Dr. Paul Knapper earned his undergraduate degree at the University of Pennsylvania in international relations and pursued his master's degree in the same field at the University of Chicago. He received his doctorate in psychology from William James College in Boston, one of the country's premier schools of professional psychology. As part of his training, he was selected for an advanced fellowship in psychological testing and assessment during a three-year academic appointment at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Knapper helps business leaders increase their effectiveness through focusing and strengthening their agency as leaders. His professional background includes extensive experience in assessment and the application of psychological principles to improve the performance of people and organizations. His client list includes Fortune 500 companies, financial firms, nonprofit organizations, universities, as well as startups. Dr. Paul joins us to talk about his new book, The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. Welcome, Paul. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. When I first got the book, I didn't quite understand the overall picture of agency. So what I did as I would do with any word that I'm uncertain about, I looked up the etymology. And I was surprised at finding that, back to its Latin roots, agency is effective or powerful. I never thought. That's amazing. It's not, it's, it's not really seen as something by most people. It's, 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 the word is not in the common sort of vernacular all that much yet. So, yeah, you're not, you're, you're not alone in, in that. When I first got the book uh, from the publisher, it was really a surprise to me of like, okay, what? I think of agency as like EPA. Um, <laughs> so it was a really, it, it was quite a revelation to have the idea of agency as a as a powerful sort of central point. And what was your what was your journey to agency, being an agency advocate, and the power of agency? How did you? Well, you came from finance into the world of into consulting. How did you? How did agency light up for you? I guess I would ask. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and you know how it how it came about is really from the work that I do and my co-author Anthony Rayo, Dr. Anthony Rayo does. Uh, I work with, as you said, business leaders. He works with children and families. And we had been in putting our heads together. We had been noticing just this inc- large increase in people feeling like 
they weren't in control of their lives, that they felt uh, worried and anxious more of the time, and that they had more frequent periods which they described as as being overwhelming. So they they described feeling overwhelmed, which with greater frequency. And so we we started, you know, putting our heads together to to understand what was going on, why we were seeing this, all the way from highly successful business leaders on down to children. Um, And you know we looked deeply into data, and fortunately we were able to find some really great data on. Uh, anxiety in the United States. And and that was a bit of an aha moment for us because what we see when we look at um, data going back uh, to the 1930s is that anxiety has been increasing in our culture since then. And it's had uh, several noticeable spikes at different periods. One was in the 1950s and then more recently just in the last 20 years. But there's been a consistent increase in baseline anxiety uh, in our society uh, among the population. And, and, you know, as you cited the statistic, 20% of Americans, American adults today carry around an anxiety, uh, clinical anxiety disorder diagnosis. So it's pretty stunning when you think about how common anxiety is, and yet we're not really talking about it all that much, um, you know, and trying to understand the sources of it. So we put this book together to try to understand, okay, why, why are people feeling this? What, what are some of the factors leading to it? And then, and then more importantly, what is the effect that this anxiety, this, this, this overwhelm is having on people, and the primary the primary effect is that people feel a decreased sense of personal agency. Um, and agency is our capacity as human beings to use all of our marshal all of our resources, our thinking, our feeling, our you know uh, our physical being, everything we have as humans to assess our situation and make decisions based on that, um, that hopefully take us in a positive direction. So we found people's, people's level of agency was really being affected by this. They were feeling like they, they just were not in control at all, that these outside forces were kind of um, just pushing them along, that they weren't making um, you know, free choices, um, and they were confused and overwhelmed. So that's how we got to writing this book. And um, you know, it comes from this idea of, a, of, of kind of a, an epidemic of anxiety, and then you know what, what the effect that that's having on so many of us. And I'm pausing as I have to choose which direction I want to go. I, I have to ask about. Uh, so my grandparents, my grandmother lived to be 108, was born in the late 1800s, died in the 80s, and. She had many things. She was cranky. She was many characteristics. And yet, I never think of my parents, my grandparents as having anxiety. Even my parents were not, they were many, again, they were many things, but they didn't seem to have this low level of observable anxiety that everybody seems to have now, especially being someone who's in the in-between world of I'm, I'm in technology because of what I do talking to a microphone, I produce, I produce an engineer for other people. So I'm around a lot of technology, and I see a lot of like, I don't know, and also with a background as a master herbalist and having been a healthcare practitioner since the 80s, 
I see a lot of low-level neurologic, you know, adrenal stress, fatigue, all that kind of stuff. And I just, I'm, I'm, I observe it from a different view of a health issue because chronically, if your body's in a state of anxiety all the time, the adrenals are going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, and they're not supposed to do that. <laughs> they're supposed to be, like, ready for that cyber-toothed tiger. And I'm just wondering about the, the effect. I'll, I'll spin these two together. I think Cybertooth Tiger now is spelled C-Y-B-E-R. I just have a sense of our, our issue is cyber, but it's a different kind of tiger, and we just don't know it. I, it just seems like the technology of everybody being – well, yeah, talk about that, would you please? You know where I'm going because you talk about yeah, it in the book. So. You talk about the technology madness, I'll call it. Well, well, certainly technology plays a role. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to go back again a little bit to history. Uh, in the 1950s, when, uh, you know, coming out of World War II, uh, it was a very, uh, in many ways, a very positive time. And there were a lot of uh, things happening, but it was a time where there was increasing automation. It was the time where the, um, the uh, highway system, the interstate highway system was developed. You know, there were there were changes in communication. Obviously, the rise of television. So there were there were some significant changes in the 1950s. And the the famous poet W. H. Auden uh, described that era, that period, as the age of anxiety. Which you know, in looking back, we think you know how quaint how quaint you know <laughs> the 1950s is the age of anxiety. You know, so we're, yeah. we're sort of we've gone from the uh, frying pan into the fire and you know so fast forward all these years later 60 years later 70 years later and um you know we're we're now talking about living in the age of overwhelm and um technology plays a, a, a large role in that clearly um there, there but there are other factors as well and the, but the bottom line for most people their perceived realities their their felt realities is that things are changing around them and quickly. And it's hard to make sense of these changes and to adapt to all of these changes. Technology clearly, as you pointed out, being, being one of them. And um, so we're all in this sort of race to adapt, to try to make sense of what's occurring around us. And, um, and, you know, and, and so everyone's looking for something to grab hold of, right? What, what, what can I, what, what can I count on um, for the future, and how do I how do I build a life in the midst of all of this change? And um, you know, and so you know, we we see a lot of um, people just you know dig, trying to dig deep to 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 adapt. And anxiety is the result of of of, of, of some of that because there's just not there's there's less certainty today. And so you talk about your grandmother and your parents. And um, you know there was less anxiety then. First of all, people, people, um, families tended to stay together a little bit more. People tended to stay in one community. There was more stability. Um, job, you know, people could have a job for thirty plus years in one company. Um, you know, th the world wasn't changing as fast then. There and there also wasn't as much stimulation. And so back to your point about technology, we now live in a world where we have information available to us. Um, you know, any information we want or need is available. And it's, in fact, it's coming at us 
whether we want it to or not. So we have, you know, I sometimes joke about, you know, information messaging is, is coming in through every, every crack and every crevice that's open in your life. <laughs> it's coming in under the doors and, you know, through the w- cracks in the window, it's just coming at you. And so what's, what, what people are experiencing is this sense of, you know, with information can come power, right? It's, it can be a potentially good thing, but, it, in some ways, if, if, it's, if it's overwhelming your capacity to, to process it, to take it in, to make sense of it, to know what's good quality information and what's bad quality information, then, you know, the choices you make in your life, you know, how you exercise personal agency, in other words, you know, those are, those are going to be compromised. And so I think we see a lot of people just struggling with this, the amount of stimulation and um, and and all of this stuff coming at them, and you know, technology also, you know, as you know, it's designed to be very appealing. And we, you know, 20 years ago, we none of us was was on devices the way we are today. So you know, this is a big, this is an enormous social experiment that we're going through as as a as a culture, as a society. I, I often say that you know we're going through this this enormous experiment, and we've put the tech industry in charge of it. Um, and we're just now trying to sort out, okay, so what are some of the effects of this? And I think, you're, you, as you pointed out, you know, um, the, the, the importance of balance, physical balance, mental balance, um, spiritual balance. I mean, for people to feel like they have, um, that their lives are somewhat in order, that their lives make sense, that, um, you, know, you know, these kinds of things are increasingly up for grabs. And so, you know, this idea of, of balance, of how do, I, how do I live a life that feels uh, stable, secure, and balanced, it be, it's become more of a challenge today than, than it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And, you know, we're all, we're all, it's showing up. It's showing up in the data on anxiety and on, on overwhelm. And so, you know, I think the point is, is what do we do about it? How do we, how do we address that in, in our lives and, and ensure that we don't, we're not, we don't just suffer from the effects of it? And our so our our technology has just mind blowingly, you know, it just keeps evolving. Every time we turn around, there's a new sensor, there's a thing. There's now your shirts can tell you if you're sweating, like you don't know if you're sweating. <laughs> um, really? Um, and I'm pro technology. I, I'm a, I it's you know I use it every day. But however, I I don't think our has our lizard mind upgraded. That's the part that I think is a little no, confusing. It, it is our no, it, our it, lizard mind really important point? Our lizard mind doesn't know the difference between the S cyber tooth tiger versus the C cyber tooth tiger. Like I'm out sometimes at dinner with people, and their phone vibrates, and they're like, Ugh! and this, the, the the lizard mind is not any different between. Oh my God, am I going to die, or is that a t- does that indicate somebody said something? I mean, could. Talk a little about that, and then I want to go into the seven your wonderful solutions. Well, you come up with you bring up an incredibly important point, and this kind of this can help people to frame to frame things a little bit more. Um, if you think about how people lived 150 years ago, or even or 200 years ago, right? I mean, most people don't have a great idea uh, of what what life was like. 150 or 200 years ago. In, in, just say, let's just take America in our culture, in our country. How did people live? What was their day-to-day life like? Um, and 
compare it to today, how we live today. And you think, you know, 200 years sounds like a long time, but in terms of our our human capacity to um, adapt, to evolve in the Darwinian sense, we, we haven't changed at all, hardly at all, in 200 years. I mean, in some minor ways, potentially, we, we, you know, we've gotten larger. We've got, there, there, there certainly have been some changes, but my, relatively minor changes in terms of, of how, we, how we're put together as beings. And then you look at how much this is, our, our culture, our society, the world has changed in 200 years, and you start to get an idea of how challenging it really is, because we live in a completely different way um, than we did 150 years ago. And yet, to your point on the lizard brain, we, we really have not evolved much, if at all, in that period of time. So you could understand that the demands on us, the demands of the environment being placed on us to adapt, to make sense of this changing world, you know, it's just, it's grown much, much more intense. And, you know, and we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing the effects of that on, on, on people um, each and every day. And how does this cascade into our actual social lives uh, there was a speaking of you know more than 200 years ago 500 years ago let's say I don't know I'm making up numbers um, we used to gather and sit around the fire and roast a beast and share stories now I see groups of people sitting around all texting on their phones to possibly each other in a thread with somebody else who's across the room they're all talking with each other, but they think they're all talking through their device without any of the actual, like, oh, my God, eye contact. What? Um, so how does this affect our social creature? I mean, we're social creatures. We're pack animals. How do, how do you think this cascades into that? It's great. No, it's a really important question, and, and you're, 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 you're exactly right. We are social creatures. We are herd animals, um, and uh, and our agency, which is you know our power to affect change in our lives, our power to exert control over the direction of our lives, our agency depends on us having healthy connections, social connections with other people. You know, in in other words, for us to have full access to our personal agency as 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 people. We must be we must be attached to and surrounded by other people who are healthy people who are encouraging of us who 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 help us learn and grow and develop as people. So our agency is always a, a function of the relationships we have around us. And so to look, I mean, one nice thing about technology, and and you know, we are not anti-technology by any any means. In, you know, in, in, in terms of our book, in terms of what we're advocating, um, technology is a very powerful tool. Um, but I think the the point is, if 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 staring into a digital device replaces connections, real time connections you have with other people, um, and the storytelling piece of, of, of the equation, you know, uh, you know, we we you know we quote in the book. At, at one point, you probably read this. 
um, Joan Didion, the author Joan Didion, um, who, mm. who famously said, you know, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. And this is a very human thing, and it's been around since the dawn of, of human civilization. So it was around 200 years ago and 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago. We, would, we told each other stories. We still need that. And, you know, you can get that through the, through, through, through the Internet. But there's nothing that really replaces real-time um, human connection. And so I think we get back to that question of balance, you know, which you, you do so much great work in the area of, of trying to think about people's balance, you know, their energy, their, their physical health. Um, balance is incredibly important, and I think with technology, you know, it's almost like we've this is all new to us, and it's fun, and it's new, and exciting, and it's compelling, and it's appealing, all these things, and you know, we are are often slow to real to, to recognize if that's getting out of balance in our lives, if the technology is um, taking the place of other things that actually keep us healthy, grounded, and balanced. And so, you know, one of the things we talk about in our book is, 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 you know, just paying more attention to that. And, you know, are you socializing? Are you, you know, are you keeping up your social skills? Because I think, you know, one of the things that, that people notice in the work world where I, you know, I work with a lot of business leaders, right? So one of the things that people notice with some, some younger workers is if they have spent so much time you know, um, relating to other people through technology, mediated through texting or Snapchat or, or whatever, that when they get into uh, the workplace where, you know, they have to, you know, sit face-to-face with other people and, um, and, and collaborate and, and, and uh, negotiate and all this kind of stuff, um, they have a harder they, – they, they haven't built up that muscle. And so that is where, you know, we say, hey, look, be more aware of – how you use technology, and we even we, we go we, we say it may be a cliche at this point to say it, but I'll say it anyway. You know, make sure that you are using technology, and that technology is not using you, because you know there's a lot of technology these days, as you know, is is about messaging, and it and the messaging that comes from technology is very powerful in influencing us. Um, and being herd animals as we are, you know, we look to the right, we look to the left, we see what other people are doing, we look at the choices they're making, and we assume that, oh, well, that must be what we do now. That must be how, you know, what I should do. And that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily correct. I mean, there's a, there's a logical fallacy in that. And so, you know, so we want to, so one of the aspects of agency that you know, is important is questioning things more, questioning, you know, your choices, questioning, you know, your thinking, questioning your beliefs, questioning other people too, and questioning the broader society around, around us and, and ensuring that, you know, that we make choices that are, that are health promoting, that give us greater agency in our lives. Because there's a, you know, there's a lot of, one reason why marketing is so powerful and messaging is so powerful is because it works. It influences people to buy things, to do things. And sometimes those things are not necessarily in those people's best interests. So we talk about, you know, being more of a, a critical thinker and 
risking not following the herd at times and doing your own doing your own thing and, and exercising personal agency oftentimes is about that. It's about doing your own thing. It's not necessarily doing what everybody else is doing. So um, so that's so technology as a you know is 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 not all bad by any stretch. It it gives us a lot of power if we use it properly. And I'm going to jump here slightly because this seems to fit perfectly right here. In the power of agency, you say boredom is good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know we're jumping from like, oh, everything's buzzing and beeping and telling me, but, you know, and you're saying, no, like, go in the forest, go for a walk. Boredom, well, I don't actually consider that boring, but you say boredom is good. Could you talk about that? I think that's such a powerful thing. Yeah, that, that, what we mean by that is that at times when there's no stimuli, you're in a situation and um, there's not some stimulation coming in, coming your way. You're not in front of a screen of any sort. You're you're just quiet. You're sitting. You're um, the what we mean by you know embrace embrace boredom is. Learning to be quiet with yourself, be comfortable with yourself, um, noticing what kinds of thoughts and feelings uh, uh, come up when you are quiet with yourself. And a lot of people frame that as boredom, right? Because they, they, they're, they're used to, kind, to having constant stimulation. And that's, that's kind of where the world has, 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 has evolved to is that, you know, stimulation, stimuli is available, you know, 24-7. All you have to do is, you know, turn on your smartphone or power up your laptop or whatever. It's, it's, there's stimuli available constantly of any sort. And, um, and so for a lot of people, you know, that, be, that becomes a way of, of, of taking themselves away from, from themselves, from, the ref, from their, their ability to reflect um, on their situation and on themselves and on the world, and uh, and so this ability to reflect, to pause, to be kind of you know be quiet, and actually reflect on 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 what you're thinking, what you're feeling, um, that's essential to agency. That's essential to the the capacity to make good choices in your life, and to to uh, make you know independent choices in your life that may not be. Um, following the herd. So this idea of developing that reflective muscle is very important. And it's one of the things that's fallen by the wayside over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years with, you know, all of the, the, the sort of digital uh, stimuli coming our way, which, you know, is very attractive. It's very appealing. It's easy. I mean, I've done, I've gotten, you know, bogged down. I, I, I can overconsume information and technology myself. I, I work at it personally. We all, but we all need to, because this idea, this, this ability to slow things down, to get more quiet, to be with yourself, and to build that reflective muscle, the capacity to reflect on, on where you find yourself is so important. And that, again, just I've said it once, I'll say it one more time. That is, you know, in some ways a building block for greater um, agency in your life. And, um, and so a lot of people, I think, you know, they, they, that's easy to miss. You know, it's easy to miss. And mindfulness kind of gets at that. I, mean, I think mindful, a lot of the messaging around what mindfulness is is, 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 is helping with, with, with that. And so mindfulness does actually um, 
promote agency. It's a, it's a good it's a it's a it's a good means one means actually to to have more agency in your life. Um, but that's imp- that's important. And you know, I think a lot of people they just you know if they don't have stimuli coming in every moment, they they feel that they're bored. You know, they describe it as being bored. And and so so anyway, so that's a, that's an important one. And. We will get to the seven steps. I I promise. I just have one more question in here that yeah, oh, that, sure. that popped out of me as a real thing, a very powerful thing was this interesting what I would call swing between anxiety and confidence. There's this interesting I don't know what that would be called uh, back and forth. I've known performers. Well, uh, Johnny Carson. I'm old. Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson was known that he would often throw up before he'd go out on stage. And that was because he was anxious. And so he evidently learned to take that as a tool and turn that into Johnny Carson, for goodness sakes. (laughs) That's an amazing thing. So I think that's in that category of anxiety and confidence, where people take that and and channel it or call it whatever you want. And I, I know you talk about that. Yeah, it's it's related to um, you know anxiety and, and you know there's a seesaw effect. We found this from our our field work where we interviewed um, many many people um, from different walks of life um, to get a better sense of how they exercise agency in their lives. And what we found is that you know for 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 people who are are very anxious. Typically, those people have a lower level of confidence, and vice versa. So it's very hard to feel both anxious and confident at the same time, right? I mean, they, you know, when you feel confident, you you almost always feel less anxiety. And so, you know, it's one, it's a lens through which you can, you know, self-assess and and sort of say where do I feel most confident in my life and where do I feel most anxious in my life? Cause for a lot of people, you know, they can, if they put a little thought into it, a little reflective thought into it, they can, they can sort of pinpoint better, you know, where they feel most confident and where they feel least. And that can sometimes be, you know, uh, give them some, some information, important information in terms of what they need to do, what they need to pay attention to, what they need to, you know, what problem perhaps they need to solve. And so this idea of, of, of confidence and anxiety having sort of a seesaw relationship, when one goes up, the other goes down, um, is, is an important, you know, principle um, of agency because things that, in other words, what gives you greater confidence is actually something also that helps build your level of, of agency in your life. Now, we can't be confident every minute of every day about every single thing we face in our lives. That's unrealistic. But I think what we found is that when people are, are feeling overwhelmed and feeling a lot of anxiety, they really don't feel confident in many areas of their lives. And so one of the places we suggest people start is, is start thinking about what they might be able to do in order to gain more confidence, to feel more confident in, in, their, in themselves and in their ability to uh, take their lives in, in a positive direction. And, and a lot of times, you know, that, there's a number of ways to start building that kind of confidence. Um, and using the seven principles is, is one of the key ways of, of building up your level of, of confidence in your life. Well, I think 
Thank you for the lead-in into the lead-in. Um, I think that the seven principles, the number one principle alone seems to me that it would give people great um, agency once they realize that they, they, wait, you actually have the choice to turn off the buzzers and the things and the alerts and like actually, you know, please back away from the device. It's okay. <laughs> you won't. You won't <laughs> fall over and die. The cyber tooth with the C won't right, get it'll you. Be, it'll be there. It'll be there when you want it again. Yeah. That's the shocking thing. You turn it on. There's going to be stuff there. Don't you worry. It's not going away. <laughs> um, so please uh, talk about the first step. Uh, well, I'll call it a first step. It, I, it is kind of a program, um, but I mean, really, talk about that for your number one step. That's. That alone, we could. After that, everybody else could stop. I mean, the the others are all vitally important, but I just think number one is really wow. Well, number one, we we call the first principle of agency. We call control stimuli, and this is. And we've already talked a bit so far today about that. Um, but this, the idea is that you actually have the power. You can make the decision uh, in terms of how much. St- stimuli you expose yourself to. And you know, there's all kinds of stimuli. And we talk about the different forms of stimulation that come into our brains. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are unaware of, of, of that. A lot of stimuli, there's background stimuli that come in. So, so we're, we're, we're constantly taking in uh, stimuli. And, and, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, of course. Um, but it becomes a bad thing if we're not aware of it, if, if we're exposing ourselves to stimuli that actually undermines us, stimuli that, um, that it doesn't give us something, um, you know, helpful um, to, to work with. So the whole purpose of this first principle, it, it revolves around the idea that, you know, we, what you allow to enter into your brain, enter into your mind, is a very important uh, thing to consider. So if you're, you know, it's like what you put into your uh, into your mouth, what you eat, right? We 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 now know that you know if you eat a diet primarily of fast food, um, you're generally not going to be very healthy, right? You're you're you may you're likely to gain weight, you're likely to feel sluggish, you're likely to, you know. Uh, your cholesterol is likely to go up. You know, any most health markers are likely if you eat, you know, primarily fast food all the time. We know that. Well, by the same token, if we're not paying attention to how much stimulation, how much stimuli we we enter in, and to the quality of that stimuli, if we're not aware of that, it can have the same effects. It's kind of like you know, garbage. You know, the whole idea of you know, they used to say about computers, right? garbage in garbage out right and so if you if you pay more attention to the quantity and the quality of stimuli you, that you expose yourself to and make choices you know based on that um, you know your your brain is going to work better your 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 emotions are, are are going to be more in balance and in general you're going to feel a, a higher level of confidence in yourself and and feel more optimistic about about your life um, but what we find today is a lot of people are very unaware you know they're not you know they're they're binging on on stimuli they're binging on um, screen time and not aware of they're not aware of the downside effects of that and so we in this first principle we talk about that and you know, again it's technology is great and information is is terrific and um 
but we do need to pay attention to the quality and the quantity. And, and the other thing is just, you know, more analog tasks are still incredibly healthy for us. So taking walks in nature, cooking dinner with a friend or a family member, um, you know, um, doing these more analog things, a hike, a bike ride, a walk in the park, um, you know, all of these sort of things that don't involve, you know, um, large amounts of stimulation, stimuli, um, are incredibly healthy for us. And they, they promote balance and they give us a health, they give us greater confidence too. So I think what we're trying to say is it's, it, a lot of it has to do with balance and, uh, and just, and being more aware of the choices that, that you're making and ensure that you have a, you know, you're pursuing a, a much greater balance in terms of the amount of stimuli that you actually expose your, 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 your mind to. And being out of doors, it, it makes me think of a, a study or a book written by Diana's Beresford Kroger. She wrote a book called Call of the Forest, and she was a medical doctor who became a botanist, <laughs> which always still blows my mind. That's a lot of studying. That's and incredible. What a, she what a great did, story. She did a, a, a study of their forests in Japan that are maintained with pathways and, you know, there are more, you know, in Japan, how everything is so clean and trimmed and beautiful. And so they have these forests in Japan where people go out to be in the forest, not only for the beauty, but also they've found that there are medicinal benefits to inhaling some of the oils and esters that are coming off of the trees. And that there's actually cognitive benefit to being in the forest. In a, in a medical way, she's done research, and there's actual yeah, like hardcore research I going. I didn't connect her name to that, but I'm familiar with that with the research on that, and we actually have some yeah. some we have some stuff in the book about that. That's really powerful stuff, and it's really important in this day and age. So you that's I'm so glad you brought that up because that's it's it's right on point and what we don't realize when we're exposing ourselves to digital stimuli and we'll focus on digital stimuli because that is the that's the main culprit we we tend most of us are tending to over over expose ourselves to um, digital stimuli and what happens is other things get crowded out. So the walk in the park, the walk through nature, you know, that's, that stuff starts to fall by the wayside. So, you know, incredibly important what you're, what you're sharing. Um, and yeah, that, that, you know, what, you know, what people don't often understand too, is the relationship between anxiety and depression. They, they're like brother and sister. They're in some respects intertwined. It's easy, you know. Sometimes it's, 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 you know, they they, they have symptoms that can 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 um, overlap. So in Japan, as you said, you know, which is an incredibly urban country. I mean, ninety-five percent, I think, of Japan, the population resides in urban areas. It's it's almost entirely an urban uh, nation. And they have all these, um, you know, incredibly old-growth forests in the interior. You know, it's primarily, you know, more mountainous. And, but they have all of this old-growth forest in the interior of their country. And as you said, they, the government actually started financing the building out of miles and miles of paths through these, these old-growth forests um, as a treatment for depression. And as you said, 
it actually works. It actually is. It it, it actually works. It, it 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 improves people's mood. It as you said improves people's thinking skills, and their overall sense of well-being. Um, you know we're you know we're part of this earth, and we need to be connected to the the earth. Um, and when we aren't connected to the earth, we we lose we lose some of our power as human beings. So yeah, I mean I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so such important work. There's even some uh, research being done by since everybody's talking about gut health, and you talk about gut health, but in a different way. <laughs> and I'll get back to that. Um, what I would call gut health uh, is that there's also research looking at when you go into various areas of well forest or other areas in general that it also helps build the natural microbiome or the gut health by exposing you to different cultures literally not people cultures but cultures of pathogens and bacteria where you get exposure and it actually helps build your gut health by building a microbiome so there's a lot of, there's benefit to being in forest come on take the dog for a walk get out there absolutely uh, no there there really there really are and just getting in the, not to mention you know getting your body moving um you know the other thing is you know that's another principle of, of agency is the importance of of physical movement so when you are physical you're engaging in physical movement in a natural setting like a forest um, you get the the double effects of moving your your body and you know forcing the blood to to pump through all parts of your body and and your brain. Um, but you're also, as you said, breathing in um, health promoting um, things and and also you know exposing you know all of your senses are activated in that type of environment, your sense of sight, of, of, of smell, of touch. Um, and what we often don't recognize in terms of, you know, digital um, stimuli is that, you know, we don't have, we're not being exposed to any of that stuff. It, we're, it's not exposing us, all of our senses, the way a, walk, a simple walk in nature does. And, and, and the health-promoting effects of that are huge. And what a lot of people don't realize, too, is, um, is that that has a direct impact on your level of, of, of confidence in your life and then, you know, your level of, of agency, of, you know, the, your, your, the power you have to um, direct the course of, of your life. I mean, these things all play a role. And so I think that's what we're trying to highlight in our book is, you know, these things matter. They all, they all matter. And, um, and they're simple things and they're enjoyable things. I mean, you know, who doesn't like the smell of a forest? I mean, I guess if you have an allergy, <laughs> you might not like it, but you know, who doesn't like the smell of, you know, pine needles and, um, you know, it's, it's an incredibly, uh, wonderful sensation, um, f- you know, for most people. Um, and as you said, it promotes health and well-being. Yeah. I want to jump to uh, number four, just because I think this is another powerful thing. You know, the, the stimulation, stimulation to the mind, I think, is so vital in a, in a different way than being exposed to blinking and buzzing all the time. So would you talk about number four? Yeah, number four, the, the, the fourth principle um, of agency is we call position yourself as a learner. And 
uh, learning is absolutely essential to to human agency, right? We we need to be learning. Um, learning helps us to adapt. It helps us to grow. It helps us to make sense of the world around us, um, and it helps to you know allow us to make good choices because when we're learning, you know, we, uh, we, we, we will, we're going to end up making better decisions. So learning is essential. It's an essential part of, of agency. So we talk in this, in this fourth principle about the different ways that, that humans learn, you know, just without going to great, great length on it. We, we, we share the, the various ways that we learn. People learn in different ways. And it's important to kind of understand the, the way that you learn best, you know, wh- what modalities Work, learning modality works best for you? Is it, you know, learning through doing? Is it learning through, you know, study and, you know, going to the library and reading and researching? Is it, is it learning through, you know, engaging in, with other people, you know, talking with other people? And, um, you know, and there's a, there, there are a few others, but, you know, it's, it's, it's understanding how you learn best as a person. And then also maximizing the opportunities you have um, to to learn, and part of it is ensuring that you're um, getting access to good quality information, right? That you can rely on. That's not um, information designed to, you know, somehow um, influence you in a certain, you know, in a certain direction. Um, but actually, it's 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 accurate information. Um, and so this whole idea of learning is. Um, very essential. And, and if we think about it, you know, this, we call the principle position yourself as a learner. So it's very active. It's this idea of you can actually actively position yourself to learn more. And so it's making that, you know, kind of keeping that, uh, uh, as a clear objective, as you go through your day-to-day life, the power of asking good questions is huge. Asking the right people uh, good questions is an incredibly powerful way to take in n- new information, um, and that gives you greater greater power in in your life. And so, yeah, this fourth this fourth principle. Um, has has a direct bearing on um, our capacity as as people um, to um, to adapt to our surroundings because one of the key ways we adapt is through learning right we learn more about a particular subject or a problem we're we're, we're encountering or uh, you know we learn and so how we learn is very important and you know, one thing I want to make clear is that agency human agency is not a function entirely of education. You don't need to have, you know, a, a doctoral degree or even a college degree to exercise personal agency. These are very human things. So these seven principles in our book are designed for 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 for, for everyone. And you, you, there are people who don't have advanced degrees um, who have high levels of agency. And a, a lot, and, you know, a lot of people, um, when they come across somebody who's who's got a got a high level of agency, they describe it as as oh, that person seems confident. They seem they seem like they have a a sense of self possession. Like they like they they're in control of themselves somehow. They they're focused. They're um, they seem balanced. They seem grounded. They seem you know they seem to know what they want. And you know and and that's not related to, um, uh, you know, a fancy education. And in fact, one of the things we notice uh, these days that's a, a real problem, a growing problem, is young people 
um, college-age uh, f- uh, people who are arriving in col- to college, and um, and these are, are 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 kids who've done very well, who are smart and um, very able able-bodied, um, but they get to college and they have uh, many of them you know have, have an absolute collapse in their their agency. Um, they. They're 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 in a less structured environment when they go to college. Um, how how they then make sense of things and make choices for themselves is very different from you know how it was when they were in high school or you know earlier. And so you know this idea of agency is it's it's not necessarily related to exclusively to education, but it is related to learning. So it's this idea of learning. Um, being a central thing to pursue, a central activity to pursue in your life, and you don't need a fancy degree in order to do that. And I think this leads to, I think the learning really leads to number five about managing your emotions. I think once you have the, once you I've always been a learner, so that's probably why I like number four so much because like, oh, look, I have rationale now. I'm a learner. <laughs> I've always been curious and asked too many questions. I was one of those kids in school that asked too many questions. <laughs> See me after school, after class. Um, I was that guy. Um, but, you know, then it, it gives you the information to figure out and manage your emotions. So talk about the, the benefits of managing our emotions and what that means. Yeah, the fifth principle of agency is we call manage your emotions and beliefs. And and this is perhaps one of the more challenging, if not the most challenging, um, principle um, in that we are primarily emotional creatures as, as humans. Um, we, we, we're feeling creatures first and, and thinking uh, creatures second, uh, generally. And so... Um, how we understand what we're feeling and what our feelings mean and what we should do about our feelings is really important. And um, none of us, you know, we we kind of hopefully along the way through getting exposure to uh, people who manage their emotions well, we receive some instruction from those people, primarily our parents or other family members, um, you know, but some of us don't have healthy models when when it comes to that, right? We we weren't around somebody who was who who presented a good model in terms of how to manage emotions and, and beliefs. So, with this principle, we talk about uh, you know we we go into some of the basics about what emotions are, how they function, how to um, you know understand them, how to make use of them. Um, you know how to develop a deeper understanding of of your emotional life and and how to make the best use of of feelings. Um, you know, in in your in your life, um, feelings are are, are are among other things a very important source of information to, to us. Feelings can help us to um, uh, uh, make sense of, of of a situation. To um, they can help guide us. Um, they're very useful in data, um, but we need to tune into them, and we need to understand some feelings are better off just letting them go and not acting on them. And for many of us, sometimes we obsess on a particular feeling, um, don't let it go, and that can cause us you know, grief down the road. So 
managing our feelings is important. Similarly, another thing that gets less airtime generally is managing our beliefs. And, you know, as humans, we're constantly trying to make sense of things, right? We're trying to explain things. We're trying to figure things out. You know, we're, we're you know, you, you, you know it, it, we, we are essentially me- meaning-making machines. We're trying to make meaning, derive meaning out of what we see and what we experience. So we're constantly trying to do that. And um, beliefs, that's where beliefs come in because we, we, we develop, you know, uh, a belief about something. We, we, we're exposed to something a couple of times. We come to see it in a particular way, understand it in a particular way, and we can develop a belief then about it, that this is what it is. This is how things work. This is how the world works. Uh, you know, if I've been exposed to a lot of uh, negative um, greedy people who have not uh, been very supportive of me, I may develop the belief that the world is a dog-eat-dog place. And um, the problem with beliefs is that beliefs are meant to be temporary guides for us, you know, to help us navigate. They're not meant to be uh, things that we never change, that we never update or, 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 or edit. And so the problem with beliefs is that, you know, when we hold on to a belief and don't question it from time to time by learning, you know, the the power of positioning yourself as a learner is, you know, you can actually, as you learn new information, you can actually update your beliefs somewhat. You can, you can edit those beliefs a little bit. Um, And so beliefs sometimes get in the way for a lot of people because when we believe something very strongly, we, it actually starts to shape what we experience. It, it shapes, you know, we then start interpreting everything we see and experience through the belief, which is not the way it's supposed to work. And so we talk in this, this important chapter about managing both emotions and beliefs in a way that your emotions and your beliefs actually, um, you know, give you more power as opposed to, um, t- you know, take away your personal power. Um, b- because we, you know, all of us, you know, we, um, we need help. And sometimes we need help in managing our emotions and beliefs from other people. So this gets back to, you know, one of the principles we didn't talk about, um, which is the principle number two, which is, uh, you know, associate selectively. And, and so the peop- what that principle is about is, who you surround yourself with is very important. And so when it comes to managing emotions and beliefs, a lot of times, you know, when we feel confused or stumped or, you know, um, we, we, we need to talk about what it is we're feeling with another person, a reliable person who can be a sounding board, who can help us sort out, sort those feelings out and, and, and understand if we have a self-defeating belief that's, that's getting in our way, that's blocking us. Um, and we don't know it, you know, we have, you know, we can associate with, with, with somebody who's, who's there for us, who can help point that out. And so, you know, so this is an important, very important chapter, managing emotions and beliefs, because a lot of times people, where people get stuck uh, in, oftentimes in their lives is in this area of managing their beliefs, managing their emotions. And, um, and so, you know, there's a lot of learning that, that we all can do in this area that, that will give us a, a, a healthier sense of, of agency in our, in our lives. And, and you also talk about, you call it um, the chapter on check your inner wisdom. 
and I think of it as how does it feel in the gut? Different from microbiome, related maybe, but still how does it feel in the gut? Really talk about that. That seems like such a, a powerful ally to managing our beliefs and emotions is how does it feel in our gut? I mean, even in the business world, well, in your business world, you see really fully agency, sometimes too powerful people, especially in their own minds, who strive forward, but they still, they act like they're indestructible, but later on backstage, you might see them talking about, didn't feel right, which seems completely out of character, but I, I think they're really referring to how it feels in their gut. So talk about that inner wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. This, to this, to. this is the sixth principle of agency, and we we talk about um, intuition essentially. It's and the principle is called check your intuition, and that has a double meaning. The double meaning is that we want you to have the capacity to check in with your intuition, to access your intuition, to to better you know have connection to your gut, to your intuition but also know how to keep it in check because sometimes our intuition um, can lead us astray as well. And so we want to we be able to use our intuition in a, in a, wisely. And so intuition is, is different. It, it's different but related to emotions. And so we start out in this, in this important sixth principle talking about what intuition is and what it's not how it's similar to emotions and how it differs from emotions. For a lot of people, um, they confuse emotions and intuition, and they're not, they're not exactly the same. So we try to educate the people reading our book to say, look, if you want to make the best use of your intuition, first understand what it is and what it's not, and, and then you can start to make better use of it in your life. So we talk about in, you know, in, intuition um, and, and this is the the interesting thing because at the end of the day, agency is all about our capacity to make choices in our lives, to 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 make decisions, to choose one thing over another, and how we make decisions primarily as, as humans, how, how, how you know, we use our minds to 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 help us make decisions, and we. The, the primary way human beings make decisions is through intuition, through using our intuition. And this is, in some ways, a good thing. It also has some drawbacks. So um, it leads into the seventh and final principle of agency, which we'll come to. But um, intuition, if your intuition is not being fully utilized, um, the quality of your decision making, uh, the choices you make, will not be will not be optimal. And so we talk about how to develop your sense of intuition, how to use it, and also how to most importantly probably how to use it wisely, and and how and how to use it in conjunction with your capacity to engage in more logical, um, analytical thought, because intuitive thinking is. Primarily, and this comes from the work of, of Daniel Kahneman, although he did many decades of research on how we actually, as humans, make decisions, and um, and he he had a, a, a model where he talked about fast thinking and slow thinking. 
Fast thinking is more intuitive thinking. It's more kind of automatic. Um, it's faster. And so we, it, it is the primary mode that most humans use in making decisions, you know, day-to-day decisions. It's, it's, it's this fast, sort of more intuitive mode. The other mode of, make, of, of, of using our brains is what we call slow thinking. Slow thinking is more... Um, analytical it's more logical it's it's where you slow things down you you break things apart you look at um, different data points to, to try to analyze more what those things mean and so what is best I mean so some decisions are easy to make through just using intuition using that more fast sort of mode of, of decision making um, there are some decisions we make in our lives that are that are really important, are crucial kind of decisions about you know say about where we're taking ourselves, what career to pursue, or where to move to, or um, you know what relationship to to to, to pursue. Um, in those, for some important, very important decisions, we want to use our logical reasoning, the slower thinking in conjunction with intuition. So we want to put those two things together because when we do that, when we effectively put in our intuition together with our more our, our, our capacity to think more more analytically, um, the 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 quality of our decision making goes up dramatically. And so we in these last two principles of agency uh, we talk about how do you, how we use our brains both to to, to sort of develop that intuitive um, decision making capability and also how to how to develop the capacity to use your critical thinking to use the more the slower you know more analytical um, side of of your of your brain and again putting those two things together um, increases your agency um, dramatically because. The, it, it, it increases the, the quality of your decision-making. Yeah, principle number seven, the deliberate then act. Just that whole pile of everything that we, we've talked about, that you actually sit down and think about it, consult your intuition, consult how it feels in your gut, look at your bullet points, and then act versus the you know, pull out your gun and shoot and then figure out what's going on. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's a and clever saying about it, but I forget what it is. important. That's yes. the thing. I mean, people <laughs> yes. who have higher, le- higher levels of agency, they know when it's important, when they need to slow things down, when they need to slow down their thinking, when they need to kind of say, okay, what do I really know about this situation, you know, I, that I'm dealing with? What, do, do I have any data on it? What information do I have on, on this thing? Um, as opposed to assuming that you know everything you need to know and, uh, and you can just make a decision intuitively. Now, most people, you know, in our society, um, they engage in fast thinking almost all the time. So the problem with engaging in that sort of fast thinking, that more intuitively based thinking, is that you can be led astray. Because there are times when you need to slow things down and be, be more logical. And for a lot of us, we need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to build that, that capacity, you know, build that muscle. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's it, you know, some people have it more than others. But most of those people have learned how to do it 
it's it's actually a it's actually a concrete skill that you can learn how to do and and more and more in in the world we live in today where we have so much information coming at us the expectation is that we can synthesize that information we can make sense of it and we can make good decisions based on it and for a lot of people um, who are making decisions, you know, completely based on fast thinking, fast intuitive thinking? Um, they're not going to make the best decisions in that in, in that way. So, you know, it's important to it's important to understand how our brains work, how we tend to make decisions, and how these two aspects of our brains, you know, the fast thinking and the slow thinking, how they go together, and how to use them optimally, you know, to make better choices in your life. And that's really what we're talking about in, you know, with, with principle six and principle seven. And I'm, I'm surprised to find that we're actually past the point at which I should be asking you, (laughs) we could go on for quite some time. There may be a part two to this. Um, Where do, do you work with people one-on-one? Are you really a business larger view consultants at this point and or where can people find out more about you and where would you like them to find your book? Yeah, uh, I, I do. I work with people individually. I also work with teams of, of people, you know, with groups of people um, and, and give uh, talks and presentations uh, and, you know, and also some workshops on building greater agency. Uh, and, where if people want to learn more about the book and about agency, they can go to powerofagency.com. Uh, and there's, there's information there also on speaking engagements and, um, and, and, and we also, you know, we didn't talk about this yet. Um, we have a small, um, tool, uh, assessment tool that people can take to assess their level of skill on these seven principles that build agency. So people can do a self-assessment and they can, they can assess how well they're doing on these seven different principles. And they can, they can see where they might want to focus their efforts if they want to build greater agency, which, which of the seven principles should they really kind of zero in on. Um, but so, yeah, I work with individuals. Um, you know, companies hire me to, to do executive coaching, so I do a lot of one-on-one work with, with business leaders. And um, as I said earlier, you know, my colleague and co-author, he works with uh, kids and families, and, and, and he and I are both starting to work more now um, with, uh, with schools, with, with, with teachers and with students, and also uh, work with uh, people in the business world um, on putting together training programs to to build greater agency, um, both in students and and um, in uh, business. So that's 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 kind of where we where we where we are now. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of one on one work with 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 individuals. That's great, and I'm excited to hear that there is more teaching kids this earlier, so we have it as we grow up into the world of technology and overwhelm, we already are going like, no, I'm totally cool with that. I can set down my phone. I don't need to be on my iPad in the back of the car all the time. I can just look out the window. Wow. Exactly. And the important work you do, um, too, on on balance, on energy uh, balance, the energy work, um, you know, all these small things 
really do matter. And you know, one of the the, the critical points that you know, I, I we, we 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 you and I both I think alluded to. I don't know if we made it directly, which is that our physical health is essential to our mental health. It's our physical health is essential to our ability to think clearly and also to have our emotions uh, in greater balance. Uh, and when we have better physical health, um, everything else works better. So, um, you know, uh, pursuing a more, a more, a more balanced life um, by, by, by getting outdoors, uh, by moving, by, you know, um, exposing yourself to healthy stimuli and healthy amounts of it, um, and learning how to, to how your brain works and how you actually make decisions um, in the world we live in today, these are the important things that are going to help all of us to adapt, to adapt better to this fast-paced, changing world that we live in, which really does require us to kind of, you know, have our wits about us, right? It, 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 in some ways, it's it's challenging each of us, you know, to kind of be good agents for ourselves, you know, in in advocating for for ourselves. So, um, so yeah, so it's it's a very um, we're, we're at an important time in history, I think, and um, and especially as, as artificial intelligence comes comes down the pike. Um, and you know, I think ensuring that we live in, a, we create a world for ourselves that is health promoting, and um, you know, for humans, um, and for, for for humans of all walks of life, you know, with different capabilities and different interests, um, this is important work for the future. And, and agency relates to that. It definitely relates to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a whole other show. Um, AI, oh boy, uh, we'll get back to that. Um, that was really great, Paul. I, this is an important idea that you and your associate have put together of of all of this leading to, as you say, the deliberate then act, actually thinking before you act. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it leads to a better lifestyle for everybody. So I think this is really great work. Thank you so much. I knew it was going to be a good show, and we went long, and it was uh, we could go longer. But thank you so much. That was great. Oh, it was my pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I really, really enjoyed it, and, and be happy to come on again and talk more about some of the applications of this um, and you know, how it relates to the work you do, important work you do. So, again, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. And everybody else, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.